Welcome to Aiba Interviews. In this episode, we sat down with Vans Warp Tour founder and newly inducted Aiba Hall of Fame member Kevin Lyman to discuss his unique and storied career. Hello, my name is Kevin Lyman, and I am now a future member of the Aiba Hall of Fame, and I run KL Group, and I have been in the business now 38 years. What is it like being an entrepreneur in the music business? Well, I think, you know, if you're asked to be an entrepreneur, people go, how do you teach entrepreneurship? You know, and that's sometimes you see it in classes. I think it's just learning your environment that, you know, sometimes in your environment, you become so focused on a single thing. It's just kind of looking at, at society as a whole. And I've, I've always had kind of that knack to kind of look at things and, and listen. I think sometimes we call it in our business a road dumb. You get a little focused. I always had a, a motto in life that you read the local paper and drink the local beer and understand the culture of a city. And that's how it all started out. Now, now a little more difficult but, you know, to do that, but, but really kind of pay attention to your environment. Uh, you have to learn how to uh, take no, say no, and be fearless in what you do. And that's what I'm trying to pass on to the next generation right now as a professor at USC. How do you make a festival into a beloved brand? I think, you know, some people ask me how some of your festivals be beloved. Listen to your fans. Really listen to them. Um, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's not what you want to hear. But be willing to listen. So I think the success of something like Warped, and so people say, you know, was always like, you know, I was just kind of like the ringmaster. But I would listen to anyone who came into my office. And sometimes that might be a person who was passionate about raising uh, the, the blood level drives, you know, doing blood drives in each community. He wanted me to give away free tickets to shows, which probably wouldn't be a good business model. But I said, why don't we give free backstage passes to anyone who donates blood? And that first year was 3,000 people in Southern California, a lot of people backstage. But kind of listening, um, not looking at money now and never expecting it to come later, but it surprises you sometimes. Uh, we would. Uh, there was a company called MySpace that was very popular at some point, and they came to me and they didn't have $100 for a table. Our booths were $100. And I'm like, we'll have a free booth this year. And you know, they were, we became their only uh, festival that they would actually pay money to sponsor at their peak. Um, it also turned into great production business for me. I, I did their anniversary shows at Dodger Stadium for them. So uh, it, that $100 short term, I think that's our problem sometimes. We look out, how do we squeeze out every penny out of this fan right now um, how are we going to, you know, it's not long term. Um, and I think that's some of the trouble we're starting to see. But we're also seeing the backside where it's uh, people are creating really unique niche festivals. Uh, I think we're in a, mo a movement where the artist driven festival is, is doing really well, as well as the niche curated festival. Um, I think some of the big festivals are really going to have to be cautious here because it's not about squeezing every penny out of the public because the public's smarter than we give them credit. And that's what I've done. I think I've always paid attention to the public. And uh, the worst term ever I ever hear is when someone would call them punters. You know, um, that would just make my, you know, those, those, I learned about trigger responses in life. And uh, that would be one to me like, no, these are the people that actually, you know, have allowed us to be, do what we do and we need to treat them well. And I think we have to be really cautious as, at this point. I think squeezing dollars out for uh, stockholders uh, squeezing, not making long-term decisions. Um, artist development um, is, is in a tricky spot right now. Who's going to be around to fill those arenas in 10, 15 years, 20 years? Uh, people seem to get very hot, jump to that level, and then two years, never hear from them again. Who did you know was going to be a rock star as soon as you saw them perform? 
I've had a good knack for this, kind of for finding out who's going to be a rock star. And I think a lot of it came down to a lot with female artists many times. Uh, and it was, uh, it was great. Last week I went and saw Gwen Stefani's show. Um, and the minute I saw her play, she'd be like 12th. We were talking backstage and about how she was 12th or 13th on a ska band. You know, on a bill of 13, 14, and with me and Paul Tolette, Paul from Golden Voice, of course, and, uh, and me and Paul would sit by the stage and say, look, if, if they get her out of the clown suits, because the band would wear clown suits, let her blossom as a star, she's going to be a star one day. Well, she superseded maybe all the expectations in some sense. I also, uh, Haley Williams uh, from Paramore, I remember her dad. I heard from a friend that, there, that she's got a lot, this girl had a lot of talent. Her dad drove her down in a, a station wagon and, to Orlando, Florida, and I put her on my Taste of Chaos show on the second stage, and she showed up with an acoustic guitar. And this is right before Kill Switch Engage play, like a super heavy show. And she got up there, and the minute I saw that, I go, that's someone I really want to back and help, and, and brought her through many, many years of working with her. Uh, I've always found, you know, and, and someone like even more recently, it was, you know, when Katy Perry, I'm in 2008, I was looking for a song for a movie and Jason Flom played me a song and, and I said, I want that song for the movie. And I go, what else has she done? And she had one video, You're So Gay. And I just said, she's as punk as anyone. Put her, let's, can we put her on tour? And of course I asked, uh, who's her agent? And of course it was my agent, uh, CAA, who had never told me about her. Go figure, right? You know? I had to go over there and say, I want her on that tour. And uh, she came out. Uh, and then I've seen artists that I know that if we could have nurtured, but they get, now the process speeds up so much. Or they decide that not to, not to own their scene. If you, if you develop your music in, within a certain culture, own that culture before you decide to give up that culture to be something else. There's been artists more recently where they have great success out on something I was doing and decide like, oh, I'm going to become an indie band before they actually own that scene. And then they try to go into the indie world. And that indie world could be not so forgiving as our scene could be sometimes. So I think it, it's, uh, I've had great, great luck, you know, fun, you know, just go out and see music. And uh, that's where it came from. I think my A&R qualities came from working in those clubs for 12 or 13 years, where I was working 320 shows a year, watching four bands a night. Um, and you really got to see, and then for me, of course, it's always gonna have to carry over to the live setting. And I think as any artist right now, we have, it's the live setting as if you're gonna have any type of career. You might be great in the studio, but you have to go out and tour. What kind of projects is Kale Group working on? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's like uh, everyone says, oh, the founder of the band's Warped Tour. But as you do more in life, sometimes you get known for less and less things. So you, you find out, and, and uh, I actually had to put together my first uh, resume. They asked me, when they, even though I was recruited at USC, I thought I was gonna walk through the door and just be like, I'm ready to teach. And I actually had to put my first resume together. And, uh, and you look at what you've done, and then you know, my philosophy has always been music, education, and philanthropy. Um, so it's how do you thread those through all your businesses? And you know, now I've been involved in craft beer brands, I've worked hair dye companies, I'm doing all these different things. But I think the music side to me um, in the past few years, I was listening to music to book more than music to love. And for someone that loves as much music as I do, that kind of was painful. Like I wasn't listening for the love of music. So with this taking this position at USC and f having the chance to teach, I go, how are we going to push the philanthropic endeavors? Because that was what scared me most about ending Warp Tour. It was not the bands, the music, there's smarter people in the music business than myself, 
but how am I going to keep what we've built, the foundation of working with 90 nonprofits and bringing many of them to a national level, how would they carry on? So with the KL Group, we rebranded the company to the KL Group, and everything we're doing right now is about culture and about philanthropic endeavors as well as educational. So the, the teaching side comes in, and for example, to Linda Bennington, uh, Chester Bennington's uh, wife, uh, wants to carry on his legacy through a project called the 320 Project. And the 320 Project, 320 was his birthday, so she came and talked to me, and of course, everyone goes right to the tour model. Let's go to, and I'm like, well, not, a, not but I think we can do something here. So I went over to, you, you know, to LA Live and spoke to great people like Lee Zeidman, who were one of my mentors as I was growing up. And he said, of course you want the place for free. And I'm like, yeah, of course, it, you know, it's, a great, it's gonna be a great cause. And then I went over to Rick and Paul at AEG and said, I need your venue for the day. And we now have the whole plaza at LA Live for this uh, signature event called uh, the 320 Project on May 9th, it'll be held. And then I go, well, how do I thread the education side into this? Of course, my company could pull it off. So I went to Mike Garcia, who is, everyone knows a lot of people at IEBA, and said, how about if I do a class in that at USC? And we had 25 students write mission statements. I was only supposed to take 15, but I took 20 to help produce this event. And um, there's a lot of talk about mental health in our in industry right now. I think in, in general, uh, it's something, you know, we, we live in the age of anxiety created by, I wouldn't say his name in public, but there's a lot of anxiety out there. And we need to, to figure this out and face it. And we have a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of people that want to do good in this world, but how do you find them? So this will be a gathering in the community to let people know that we're, we're all in this together. Um, and maybe we can take this on the road, or maybe other people can take the model. It's not like I'm, I'm preserving it for myself. If people want to do good, I'm more than t willing to tell them how to. Uh, so the Kale Group, and then you know, I'm, in a couple of weeks, I'm doing a, uh, like the gaming world's come to me and said, you know, everyone seems to want to work with, and they kept coming to me and saying, do you want to work with uh, this guy uh, Ninja and Fortnite, and the event's going to be in Las Vegas, New York, or, or LA. And then every time everyone goes left, I like to go right. And this group came to me and said, remember when you took punk rock to Boise and you took punk rock to Lincoln, Nebraska, and you would show up in a parking lot with the culture and built a culture? Would you help us do this? So gonna be show showcasing a, a project called Project Omega. Uh, I'm probably I'm the least gaming person in the world, but I understand culture. So we're bringing all the nonprofits that might be affected. There's a lot of kids being affected uh, by some of the issues just like kids were affected at Warp Tour. So a lot of the nonprofits blend together. Some of the new things we're doing come together. We're also bringing skateboarding to a gaming event. We're bringing six leagues together because right now they tend to focus on one game, one title. And instead of having the, the professionals, there'll be some dropping in, but it'll be aspirational gaming. Like you get to step up just like our Battle of the Bands that we always had where the local flavor gets to jump in and, and compete. We'll see if it works. But you know what, if it doesn't, if you don't try, you have questions in life, so I'm trying. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting tonight because, you know, as, uh, you know, we were writing it, what you, you know, they want you know, to say something when you're awarded. And, you know, of course, with Joan Jett here, it's pretty awesome. But one of the things I said, when I was about 20 going to my first conference like this, I would sit back and listen to some of these people and, and, and then go, uh, they're, they're putting these people in, in the Hall of Fame. And does the Hall of Fame mean that you're no longer relevant? And, I'd, and I was kind of that person that would be like, well, maybe they should just give them a bar tab and let them tell stories in the bar because we have great stories. And now I'm like, God damn it. 
I'm relevant. I can still do things. So it's with mixed emotions that you get these awards. But it's not about awards in this world. Um, you know, I, and it's, it's nice to be recognized, but it's not something you strive for. Tell us a little about FEND, full energy, no drugs. When it comes down to like getting out there and just doing something, it's, it's kind of what we did with the blood drives that I mentioned earlier. When he did that, we took that to the national level. And we eventually got to the point where we were having 60 to 70,000 pints of blood donated in the name of Warp Tour at pre-events, not at the show. People sometimes, I'd get a call from a parent going, are you an irresponsible adult going to take blood from my child at the concert? I'm like, yeah, we're going to give him a cookie and orange juice, throw him in the pit and see what happens. No, these were all pre-organized through their schools and organizations in the community. And then we went into the canned food drives because a lot of times promoters would charge people to skip the line to get into their venues. And I said, not at Warp Tour. Warp Tour, you bring three cans of food or an old cell phone, or you could donate $5 to the local food bank and get into the venue. I wish we'd do that at all our venues. I wish we did that at football games. But we got to the point where we, we did 435,000 pounds of food one summer. Uh, so we tackled these little issues. And of course, uh, I witnessed uh, opioids, and, and this is probably goes deep down into my psyche in a sense, a lot of it around um, Los Angeles during the punk rock days. Heroin was very big. Um, and then in 1995, I had Sublime. It was their first real national tour. Sublime came out on Warp Tour, and Brad Knoll was one of the most talented songwriter singers I'd ever met. Um, and he was also very sensitive soul, and he was also a, a severe drug addict. And we'd sit in the parking lot, and we would talk about having our children, they're 16 days apart, and how we were going to raise them and be able to do what we love. And uh, sadly, we lost him very shortly after. Um, I didn't have the skill set probably at that point and I made it very focused in my life to get that skill set and how to help people which led to me being on the board of Music Cares for 10 years and, and traveling with counselors on the road and, and identifying when someone may need an intervention or step in on the road to help. Um, and then you know, watching opioids just ravage this country you know, and, and talking across the country and I think you know, our politicians you know, don't travel and talk, sit in a Flying J truck stop and, and talk to people or travel with so many diverse people as I was lucky to be able to do and read more and more about opioids and, and the, the, you know, Purdue Pharma just producing and, and I said, what can we do? And an organization came to me um, and said, you know, we did a, a test study of, of, of with expectant mothers in, in Australia where they would get points for learning about injuries to children. Do you think you could create? I said, the Warp Tour, perfect text. We, they, they engage with us. They love to learn. So we developed the FEND, Full Energy, No Drugs program out on Warp Tour as a test case. And uh, we had 30,000 people download the app. And they would get incentives, which would, could include a special uh, acoustic set by either We the Kings or Water Parks backstage. Uh, and we education, because it all starts with education, you know. We focus a lot on recovery, which is, how can we get it to where it's not about recovery? It's about education, so people are educated enough to identify this type of situation so they don't get themselves into that situation. Um, it's a dual thing. So mine has always been education, so FEND uh, is, continues. We just worked on a, uh, t a, project, a test project for the state of Rhode Island. It looks like a few more states are going to go with that. I'm also helping an organization called Project SOS that's starting to build clubs in, in high schools across the country. 
because it, it, it really is, you know, and, and opioids being a legal drug um, was taken, our, our, our educators weren't really allowed to talk about it in schools, but now we're starting, we're turning that point. And it's just like when we got involved with, you know, AIDS at one point, with uh, AIDS with a board aid, some of the early stuff before WARP, where we do board aid and we'd have raise money for AIDS. Um, society's just understanding it now because it's not just one segment of society, it's everyone. If it was a, you know, if it was a gay issue with AIDS, it was, didn't affect a lot of people. If it was crack cocaine with the African-American community in the inner cities, no one seemed to care. But unfortunately, you know, it, you know, it's now costing Wall Street money. It's costing people all over at every income level, everything. So maybe we can crack that so we can tackle this as a society. Sadly, we should focus on everyone and their issues, but it takes something like before, we, before the stigma of helping. Mm -hmm.